Chapter thirty seven, part b of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eric Metzler. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Lowell. Part three The Evidences of Evolution. Section three Paleontology. The Evolution of Man ontogeny and morphology man's place in nature the cercopithecidae are the monkeys and baboons exclusive of the man-like apes from which they differ in the fore and aft elongation of the molar teeth the presence of ischial callosities on the rump occasional cheek pouches a narrow breastbone and in the absence of the vermiform appendix the baboons cynocephalus are practically the only primates with the exception of man which have forsaken the arboreal for a terrestrial mode of life but unlike man this has not resulted in an erect posture but a typically quadrupedal one their head is more dog than ape-like hence the generic name greek kuon dog and kephale head with powerful jaws bearing immense canine teeth which added to the equally powerful hands enable competition with the terrestrial creatures to be readily met. The old male mandrels are remarkable for their ferocity. These creatures are colored most gorgeously on the cheeks and ischial callosities, but colors which in themselves are beautiful, blue, scarlet, lilac, are in combinations which seem grievously misplaced. Thus while the fur is often beautiful and the colors lovely, the general effect is such that, as Cuvier says, il serait difficile de se figurer un être plus hideux que le mandril. The mandrils, which are typical baboons, like the rest of their race, appear to be rather indiscriminate eaters, feeding upon fruit, roots, reptiles, insects, scorpions, etc., and inhabit open rocky ground rather than forests, flower and lydicker. Their present range includes Africa and Arabia. The macaques are rather stoutly built monkeys, the tail being variously developed. They are both arboreal and terrestrial in habit, but their principal interest lies in the fact that, whereas almost all are Asiatic, extending as far as Japan, one species, the so-called Barbary ape, Macacus inuus, is North African, and is the only living primate other than man which is found within the confines of Europe, as it has spread from northern Africa to Gibraltar. Semnopithecus is another characteristic genus, containing very long-tailed, slender forms, short-muzzled, without cheek-pouches, and typical of a subfamily, the Semnopithecinae. This group is both African and Oriental in its distribution. The man-like or anthropoid apes, family Semiidae, lay greatest claim to our interest, since they of all creatures come nearest to mankind, not only in similarity of structure, but in actual relationship, for they are our next of kin in that they and humanity spring without question from the same bough of the tree of life, and though the relationship is very remote according to human standards of consanguinity, from the evolutionary point of view it is very close. This does not mean that man arose from any known ape, or that any ape could ever in the course of evolution give rise to a man, but that man and the ape had at some not very remote time geologically speaking, 
a common ancestor. It is, however, highly probable that were we to see this common progenitor in the flesh, we would be at a loss for a descriptive term to apply to it, if we excluded the word ape. The primates which we have discussed play a subordinate part, in that they serve to link man with the lower animals. The Simiidae, on the other hand, are all-important, for only by an understanding of them and their habits can we come to a true appreciation of our immediate pre-human progenitors. The Simiidae are thus diagnosed. Man-like apes, tailless, no cheek-pouches or ischial callosities, except in the gibbon, arms much longer than the legs, an opposable pollex, a broad sternum, a vermiform appendix, hair on the underside of the trunk and limbs. Several extinct genera of Simiidae are known, while among the living there are four. Hylobates, the gibbon, Simia, the orang, Anthropopithecus, or pan, the chimpanzee, and gorilla, the gorilla. Of these the first two are oriental, the last two African in their present distribution, although all are apparently Asiatic in origin. The gibbons are the smallest of the man-like apes, rarely exceeding three feet in height, but have relatively the longest arms, for the hands reach the ground when the creature stands erect. Ischial callosities are present, true of none of their allies, and they are variously colored. The jaws and dentition, as in all other Simiidae, are adapted to a frugivorous diet, and the molar teeth are more primitive than in their relatives, although the upper canines are enlarged and saber-like, either for defense or, more probably, as a dietary adaptation. The skull is rounded, lacking the high sagittal crest for muscle attachment seen in the adult males of the other genera, and the head is posed upon the vertebral column more like that of a man, doubtless a response to the erect posture which the ape assumes both at rest and in motion. This upright pose may have originated in connection with a change in the mode of locomotion. The primitive lemurs ran and jumped on the tops of the branches, and hence were quadrupedal, whereas the gibbons swing beneath the branches, the arms being held above the head. This acrobatic mode of locomotion, which has been appropriately called brachiation, Latin brachium, arm, by Professor Keith, very probably took rise in the earliest anthropoids and has been carried to an extreme specialization in the excessively long-armed gibbon. Thus the habit of sitting upright, which first set free the hands for prehensile purposes, very probably preceded the habit of brachiation and the loss of the tail, as has also in the genus Indris among the lemurs. Gregory. Huxley's description of the gibbons contains the following. They are true mountaineers, loving the slopes and edges of the hills, though they rarely ascend beyond the limit of the fig trees. All day long they haunt the tops of the tall trees, and though toward evening they descend in small troops to the open ground, no sooner do they spy a man than they dart up the hillsides and disappear in the darker valleys. The voice is prodigious, much more powerful than that of any singer, and yet the animal has hardly half the height of a man and far less proportionate bulk. They walk erect with the arms either down, touching the knuckles to the ground, or above the head. The gait is quick, waddling, with no elasticity of step, and they are soon run down. 
In the trees, however, their locomotive powers are quite another matter, the hands and arms being the sole organs of locomotion, clearing spaces of twelve to eighteen feet with greatest ease and uninterruptedly, for hours together. Duvalsel says they can clear forty feet, which may be readily believed. They start and stop instantly with no appreciable slowing down or acceleration of speed. Moreover, their leaps not only require great strength, but the nicest precision. The significance of this mode of progression cannot be ignored, because of its educative value to the creature concerned, for every time such a hand-leap is undertaken it requires the instantaneous solution of a mathematical problem, since an accurate estimate of distance, trajectory, direction, and the ability of the objective branch or branches to bear the impact of the creature's weight must all be estimated and upon the correct solution of this problem depends the amount of muscular force to be used in order that the creature may neither under nor overshoot the mark, and the penalty placed upon the incorrect solution of the problem and its practical application may be death. Nature has abundant opportunity, therefore, for the weeding out of the unfit, and she places a high premium upon mental preparedness, more perhaps in the gibbon and other brachiating primates than in any other group of animals and this undoubtedly was also true of the arboreal ancestors of man. Osborne thus summarizes, The gibbon is the most primitive of living apes in its skull and dentition, but the most specialized in the length of its arms and its other extreme adaptations to arboreal life. As in the other anthropoids, the face is abbreviated, the narial region is narrow, i.e. catarine, and the brain cases widened, but the top of the skull is smooth, and the forehead lacks the prominent ridges above the orbits. Thus the profile of the skull of the gibbon is more human than that of the other anthropoid apes. When on the ground, the gibbon walks erect and is thus afforded the free use of its arms and independent movements of its fingers. In the brain there is a striking development of the centers of sight, touch, and hearing. It is these characteristics of the modern gibbon which preserve with relatively slight changes the type of the original ancestor of man. The orang, Simia satyrus, the second of the oriental apes, is confined to the somber, swampy forests of Sumatra and Borneo. It is reddish in color and rarely exceeds four feet in height, but, unlike the gibbon, it is very bulky, measuring two-thirds of its height in circumference. The arms are immensely long, the creature spreading from seven feet two inches to seven feet six inches. The head is short, round, and of great vertical diameter, with very closely approximated orbits. The skulls of the old males show a sagittal crest, and the face is surrounded with a remarkable flaring rim of flesh which gives it a very ferocious aspect. The jaw is deep and massive, and the canines are very efficient either for the opening of fruits or for fighting. The principal weapons, however, when used against other animals, are the hands. The great size of this ape renders it less agile than the gibbon, and while highly intelligent it is sluggish in disposition, reposing with the back curved and head bowed until hunger stimulates it to activity. By day the orangs climb from one treetop to another, and they descend to the ground only at night. They climb slowly and carefully, more like a man than an ape, and are nest-building in that they break off branches and lay them in a convenient crotch of a tree, thus forming a sort of platform whereon they repose utilizing one nest until the food in the immediate vicinity is exhausted, 
when they move on and build another. These nests are ten to twenty-five feet above ground. On the ground the orang runs laboriously and shakily on all fours and is soon overtaken by men. It never stands erect. Dyaks tell of old orangs which have lost all their teeth, but which find it so difficult to climb that they maintain themselves on windfalls and juicy herbage. Huxley Normally the food consists of figs, blossoms, and young leaves, never living animals. The intelligence is very great, the hearing acute, but the vision less so. The chimpanzee, Panpygmaeus or Anthropopithecus troglodytes, is the first of the African apes and may readily be distinguished from the orang by its black hair, although the skin of the face and ears is apt to be light in color. In size they never exceed five feet, but are not so bulky relatively as the orangs, and as a consequence are much more expert as climbers, swinging from tree to tree with great agility as do the gibbons. They rest in the sitting posture and sometimes stand or walk on the hind limbs, but run on all fours. The head of the chimpanzee is larger than that of the orang, and the brow ridges above and outside of the orbits are especially prominent. There is a sagittal crest for muscular attachment in the males. The brow ridges and the prognathus or forward-sloping teeth and the receding chin strongly resemble those of the more ancient species of prehistoric man. In their nest-building the chimpanzees resemble the orangs, in their activity and biting propensities the gibbons. There may also be more than one species, as with the latter. They are confined today to west and central equatorial Africa, from Sierra Leone to the Congo. Gorilla Gorilla by far the most formidable of the man-like apes, is also restricted to tropical Africa, extending from the Cameroon in the west across the Congo Basin to Uganda and German East Africa. There is apparently but one species. A specimen killed in the Cameroon and now mounted in the Museum of the Academy of Natural Sciences in Philadelphia stands five feet one and a half inches in height and weighed in the flesh 418 pounds. The torso and upper limbs are immense, but the legs are short compared with those of man. If the latter were of human proportions, the height would probably exceed seven feet, and the weight would approach five hundred pounds. Even as it is, one cannot but view this creature in terms of humanity, since he becomes to the imagination one of the most terrible creatures upon earth, far more impressive than a much larger quadruped would be. In describing the skull, Gregory says, the gorilla carries to the logical extreme the frugivorous and fighting specializations which are foreshadowed in the chimpanzee. The head is lengthened by the forward growth of the muzzle, and by the extreme backward growth of the skull top. Thus the gorilla skull, to a certain extent, parallels that of the baboons. The supraorbital protrusion is now extreme. The sagittal crest and widely flaring occipital crests attain an excessive development in old males and are conditioned by the massive size of the muscles of the jaws and neck. The canines form great tusks, and hence the muzzle and lower jaw are very wide in front. Thus the fundamental resemblances to the human skull are largely disguised in the male gorilla, which is distinguished by the great tusks and massive cheek teeth, the divergent tooth rows, the baboon-like muzzle and protruding orbits, in contrast to the opposite specializations in man. The young female gorilla, on the other hand, except in the dentition, 
more distinctly approaches the human type than any other anthropoid. The gorilla is the negro of the anthropoids, with the skin a dark brown, approaching black, and coarse black hair which becomes gray with age. There is a high crest of hair along the midline of the skull, and a transverse ridge. The scalp moves freely forward and back, and when the animal is enraged it is contracted over the brow, bringing down the hairy ridge and pointing the hair forward, thus giving an indescribably ferocious aspect. The limbs and body of the gorilla are markedly adapted to its gigantic and clumsy stature. It has departed from the primitive slender-limbed and arboreal type, and exhibits a more or less transitional stage leading to bipedal, ground-dwelling habits. As in the ground sloths, the long arms, stout short legs, and widely expanded pelvis are adapted for the support of the enormous thorax and abdomen. The hands of the gorilla are more human than those of any other anthropoid, although the thumb is relatively smaller than in man, and has not acquired the power of opposing itself to the other digits. So also the foot of the gorilla distinctly approaches the human type in several ways. The great toe, however, is still of the old grasping type which is characteristic of all primates except man, and which, as Keith has shown, although it assists the anthropoids in attaining a fully erect posture and balance while in the trees, is rather a hindrance in to the upright position on the ground. Gregory. The gait is therefore shuffling, the body never upright, and rolling from side to side. The body is half swung, half jumped between the arms as in the chimpanzee. In the walking posture the arms are held upward. Gorillas run in bands containing but one adult male of proved physical prowess. They are exceedingly ferocious, always on the offensive, and never run from man. They fight both with the hands and teeth. The family to which man belongs, the Hominidae, bears the stamp of close relationship with the Semiidae, the differences being mainly the direct outcome of terrestrial life, the assumption of the erect posture, and the development of the brain. The erect posture has coordinated with it the alternation in the curvatures of the spine, the more complete adaptation of the hind limbs to bear the weight of the body, the loss of power of opposition of the great toe, and its more complete development in the thumb and the greater length of the hind as compared with the forelimbs. The anthropoids are chiefly frugivorous and typically arboreal. When upon the ground they run poorly and, except in the case of the gibbons, use the forelimbs in progressing. Thus they are confined to forested regions. Man, on the other hand, is omnivorous, entirely terrestrial, erect, bipedal and cursorial, an inhabitant primarily of open country. The anthropoids use their powerful canine tusks and more or less procumbent incisors for tearing open the tough rinds of large fruits and for fighting. Primitive man, on the contrary, uses his small canines and the more erect incisors partly for tearing off the flesh of animals, which he has killed in the chase with weapons made and thrown or wielded by human hands. These implements and weapons also usually make it unnecessary for man to use his teeth in fighting and functionally they compensate for the reduced and more or less defective development of his dentition. Gregory. There is but one living genus, Homo, included with the family Hominidae, and all existing men of whatever race or creed are given but a single specific name, Sapiens, i.e., the wise. The divisions of this species into its various races or varieties are, perhaps, unnecessary to our purpose, other than to enumerate the following. 
Australian race, skull long, dolichocephalic, extremely prominent eyebrows, large teeth, especially the canines, tall, long-limbed, skin chocolate brown, hair black, long and woolly. Habitat, Australia, Deccan, Hindustan. Negroid race, dolichocephalic, forehead round and childish, nasal bones flattened, teeth sloping, dental prognathism, skin and eyes brown or black, hair the same color, short, woolly, not abundant. Habitat, Madagascar and Africa, from the Sahara to the Cape of Good Hope. Mongolian race, brachycephalic, short-headed, flat nose, small and oblique eyes, short and thick-set, golden-brown skin, sleek, coarse black hair, scanty beard, dwell east of a line drawn from Lapland to Siam, Chinese, Tartars, Japanese, Malays, Eskimos, North and South Americans. Caucasian race. A. Mediterranean, short, slender, long-headed, hair and eyes dark brown to black. B. Alpine of medium height, stocky, round-headed, hair and eyes dark brown to black, eyes often hazel or gray in Western Europe. C. Nordic, tall, long-headed, hair flaxen, red, light brown to chestnut, eyes blue, gray, or green. Habitat, mainly Europe and North America. Includes also Moors, Berbers, Egyptians, Kurds, Persians, Afghans, Hindus, Turks, Armenians, Afrikanders, and Australians, non-natives, for natives see above. Flower and Lydiker and Grant. End of chapter 37, part B. Recording by Eric Metzler, Albuquerque, New Mexico, United States of America.